Good morning. Welcome. Merry Christmas on this Christmas morning. It's good to see you. Right at the beginning of our holiday season, we invited our church membership to purchase Christmas wreaths. And the purpose of this was sort of twofold to help us decorate the building, but it was also to take some time to remember people within their loved one circle that they wanted to just take some time over the holidays and think, uh, remember those that have passed on. I know Christmas is hard for a lot of folks, and there's a lot of uh, um, feelings that become very raw because of loved ones that we miss. And this was a very appropriate, appropriate way for us to remember those. J.J. had written a song several years ago. We're going to run that uh, uh, remembrance video that we created while J.J. sings this song. Would you just take a look at the screens and listen to J.J.? I know that we love Christmas A favorite time of year Love to give our presents Full of Christmas cheer Supper on the table all the family near think that we have everything but something's missing here all the celebration party atmosphere looking for you Jesus wishing you were here pray that you bless this place and you will see us through cause Christmas isn't Christmas without you Christmas isn't Christmas without you run to us a child is born free from me and you when I count my blessings Christmas isn't Christmas without you. For people who are lonely, broken and afraid, or filled with desperation, just can't find their way. I pray that you will shine your light. Hope they see it too Cause Christmas isn't Christmas without you When I think of Christmas times I've had throughout the years I love ones who passed away Friends no longer here Say they're up in heaven Pray there with you too, cause Christmas isn't Christmas without you. Christmas isn't Christmas without you. Run to us, a child is born, a gift from me and you. When I count blessings, I count on Jesus too. Christmas isn't Christmas No, it isn't Christmas Christmas isn't Christmas Without you Would you enjoy me in prayer as we stand, please? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day On this Christmas morning that we can come into this place and we can take time to slow down and honor Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, that you sent so that we could be forgiven of sins. Thank you, Father, for those that have gone before us, that have gone into your presence. And we're going to talk about that just a, a bit today. But just to say thank you for those 
that we have loved and have given so much through the years to our church and to our families who have stood firm in the faith. And because of their belief in you, they're enjoying that eternal home with you in heaven now. We're grateful for that. Father, we're grateful just for the love you have for us that, that we can stop in this world and we can say, Jesus, happy birthday. Thank you for coming into this world so that we can have the joy and hope and love. Father, we're grateful for all the things you do for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's continue as we worship this morning. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Son 
Christmas season. God, let it not just end today, but let the spirit of Christmas carry on throughout the year. Let us celebrate the hope that your son Jesus brought to us every day of our lives. Lord, let us not take that for granted. We love you. It's your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Most certainly this is an unusual Sunday morning. And for that matter, a Christmas morning, because only on an average of once in every seven years, depending on the number of leap years that take place, do we have a Christmas morning occur on the same day as a Sunday? And the last time that this happened, it fell on a Sunday in 2016, and it will not happen again until the year 2033. So you have 11 years. 11 years to get ready for the next time that Sunday falls, uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here in person, and if you're joining in by live stream, thank you for joining also. Welcome Home has been the series that we have been looking at for the past uh, several weeks now. We're in our fifth week of the series, the Advent season called Welcome Home, and we're looking at the Christmas story the greatest and the most miraculous birth of all time in the history of the universe. Uh, we've been using different rooms and places in a typical household that would take into account the different scenes of the story of Jesus' birth that we're so familiar with, and, and we've explored the true meaning of Christmas as we've walked through these rooms. So we we looked at the front door our very first time in our pretend house, and you may have been there part of the, for that. We looked at the junk room, and uh, someone said the other day that, man, I still have a lot of junk I need to explore and go. It's amazing my treasures you might find if you go take a look in, those, in that trunk, junk room again. But maybe they're not treasures either. Maybe there's time to just haul it out. We lounged in the living room and reminisced about eating the candy. You remember that? And then uh, we took a look at the workshop last week. Today, we're going to look at the dining room. The dining room. The room where many families gather around a table to eat their meals. I'm just curious, uh, do, do any of you all sit around tables to eat your meals these days? Yeah, if you would, raise your hand. Well, a good number of you, I, I have to admit. We don't do that at our house. We, we, we just have other places that we like to sit and eat. We've done that ever since we've been around, probably because we didn't have a, a place for a dining room when we first uh, had started having kids, and eventually we did have a dining room. So Lynn and I, just the two of us, 
we choose not to eat there, but it is a place where many families, as evidence here, gather around to eat. It's a place where we do much more than just eat. Oftentimes, I think maybe there might be, if uh, you looked into people's dining rooms at nighttime, that you might see children doing their homework, sitting at the table, and adults maybe sorting through mail and, and they're trying to determine how they're going to pay their bills or carry out their household chores. Many families gather around the table to have family chats, and some go to the point of enjoying a game night around the table. The dining room can create connection to each other, and when you're doing this as a family, it creates a social bond. Dining together beyond family and with family creates a sense of intimacy. Our most loved people gather around tables where stories are told, heartaches maybe are disclosed, laughter is heard, tears are shed, and love is shared. But maybe the greatest use of a dining room is exactly what it says in the title, a place to dine, especially during the holiday season. The dining room seems to take on a whole new special meaning. During this time of the year, I, I watch commercials and I see grocery stores market to extravagant lengths to try to uh, produce commercials that are enticing you to come buy their goods. And how they do this, they'll show scenes of family and friends gathering together for that perfect Thanksgiving or Christmas meal. Scenes reveal all types of family gathered around the table, laughing and consuming what had been prepared. Practically every Christmas movie I watch, there's always seems to be a scene of people gathered around a table. It's one of those predictable things about the Christmas movies, although almost all of it's predictable, right? It's just one of those also that seem to be there. And one of my favorite television shows is Blue Bloods. Anybody watch that with me? You know, I, I really do like to watch that show. And every uh, episode, every um, show has the Reagan family gathered around the table for their Sunday dinner together. It's the place depicted where the, the family bonds, according to one article, get to grow. And the creator of the show, Leonard Goldberg, decided to include the family dinner scene in every episode, uh, uh, and it has become what he described as the cornerstone of the family side of the show. And in real life, and this might be interesting to you, when they shoot that scene around the dinner table, it's said that it takes up to from five to six or maybe more hours just to shoot that particular scene. It's amazing, really. Uh, so much time devoted to just maybe a two or three or more four minute scene within the show. That's quite a commitment to showing the importance of a family sharing a meal together on that show. Even our family is going to gather this afternoon for our Christmas meal together. And I assure you, we won't be sitting at the table that long. You know, it'd be like, it's time to get up and do something. I mean, there are Christmas presents to open. There's other things to do, so we won't be there that long, but we will share that meal this afternoon. You know, church tradition says that we remember the birth of Christ on the 25th of December, today. The reality is that Jesus was probably born in maybe March or April Neither shepherds or their sheep would have been out in the fields in the, in the deep winter. The actual specific date and the time of the birth of Jesus was not really, it's not really all that important. But what is really important is that we believe that his birth really happened. On that actual day and date that's lost to history, the reality of Christmas is that it took place. Whether it was in the bleak midwinter or the spring or during the heat of the summer or during autumn, Christ was born. We know it was in the evening. We know it was in Bethlehem. 
And we know what happened in the stable where the animals are kept. There were no fancy rooms like we've been talking about in our series. No, no place where there was comfort and warmth in our homes like we have today. Well, maybe unless you've been in the rolling blackouts or you lost power over the last few days where you were cold because you didn't have any heat. But you had that hope and you had that assurance that at some point in time it was going to be warm in your house. But certainly... What you experienced maybe on the la over the last few days was nothing compared to that harsh environment that Jesus was born into, the accommodations for Joseph and Mary. On that night, Jesus was born in a place where there was no table like this. There uh, was no place for the family to prepare a meal or a place to Joseph to sit and contemplate all the happenings that, that had gone around, on around him uh, working up until this time of the birth. It was a dirty, smelly stable where the only eating that usually took place was by the animals out of a trough of some sort. A makeshift manger for the baby Jesus to spend his first hours where, now get this, the tongues of animals would have licked clean the last bit of crumbs to fill their bellies with. We know the story well. We could almost repeat it verbatim. And quite honestly, I'd be a bit hard-pressed to draw any analogies of the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus to the dining room. But that's only true for what we know of the early life of Jesus until his public ministry begins. It certainly changed when he became an adult. You may recall that his very first miracle was what? At the wedding feast, where there was dining and partying and food and drink happening. Undoubtedly, guests came from all over to dine at the, at the host home where, where there was plenty until it ran out, the wine, and then Jesus does a miracle. So we have our first account of Jesus' public ministry in a dining setting. And there are many more dinner scenes recorded in the gospel, especially where we see Jesus eating with none others than, not family, not friends, necessarily. He was eating with sinners. A look at these scenes gives a remarkable picture of just why Jesus came from his divine status in heaven to be born in that cold, dirty, messy, smelly stable. Jesus. He was comfortable going into the homes of everyday, ordinary people and eating at your dinner table. One of those stories is found in Mark chapter 2. Verse 13 says this, And Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that, they were coming, that were coming to him. And as he walked alone, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Did you get it? along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I think that's interesting that that would be placed in the Scripture here. It says that they were tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And then it goes on to say that there were many other people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked him, why does, this, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This tax collector, he had actually become a follower of Jesus, and now he decides to host a dinner. Well, I'm sure his dinner table didn't look like this one. But he calls all of his friends together. And who were his friends? People that were most unlikely to be seen in the synagogue. People that the Pharisees held as, hey, these are the kind of people that we ought to hold up as, a, as, as public examples of who you should live their life at. No, those weren't the kind of people that Matthew chooses to, to invite to his table. They were, they were disreputable. And he, here's Jesus. He goes and he sits down and he eats with them. Imagine a much larger table than this with a group of people all around it. I suspect they were probably listening to Jesus from time to time. But I also suspect they were having interactions with each other and laughing and carrying on. And here was Jesus in the midst of them, people who were less than desirable. They had circumstances that they lived in that weren't great examples to look to and professionals in a life that was not very reputable. And Jesus is there. And then there's the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the chief tax collector when Jesus invites him to the man's home? Uh, himself to the man's home. In, in that particular scene and the scene that we just talked about, Jesus is, uh, is socializing with known sinners. And in these scenes, in both of them, he's criticized for who he's dining with and who he chooses to associate with. Jesus is sitting at the table of unwelcomed people who would be normally welcomed at other tables. These religious leaders, they often criticized him. And then there was a time when he was actually mischaracterized as a glutton and a drunkard. Once while eating at the table of a Pharisee, a certain immoral woman of the city burst into the home uninvited, She's bringing a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And the story goes in, in Luke chapter 7. Then she knelt behind, the feet of, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, watch this, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, he doesn't say it out loud. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, if it was who he says he is, he would have known what kind of woman that this, uh, that, who's touching him. And he says to himself, she's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And Jesus proceeds to start telling Simon a parable, making a point that the woman had, been, had this greater debt than the, what the, the Pharisee had to pay for her sin. And, and yet she does a better job of welcoming Jesus into her life, into her setting, than what this, this Simon, this Pharisee, does into his home. He says to the woman, I tell you, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You see what's happening? We're beginning to see why it is that Jesus came. There's another scene in Matthew 22 that uh, is 
telling about the wedding banquet in which the king prepares a feast for his son's wedding. And he invites a lot of people, and they decide not to come. And so what does the king do? He goes out and he gets those that were less than the ones that he would normally invite. And he says, you can come and eat and feast at my table. And on and on throughout the New Testament, Jesus takes ordinary scenes of eating at tables and makes a greater point of why he was sent here to provide a way for sinners, for people like you and me to be made right with God. These scenes of Jesus eating at the table with sinners, they're, they're little pictures of the bigger picture of why he came as a baby. He came to be a Savior. The Bible says he came to save his people from their sins. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And Paul summarizes it this way. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. All these people whom Jesus shared a meal with. It's really quite remarkable. It is the gospel story. And if you're a believer, a Christ follower, saved by His blood through grace, it becomes your story also. Here's what we get to do. We get to eat at the table with Jesus. He would not be bothered to come and sit at your table, no matter who you are. A quote from Fred Zaspel says this, Whoever you are, whatever your background, wherever you have been, and yes, whatever you have done, you may in Jesus dine at the table of grace with all of its lavish provisions. In fact, he invites us to share as his table a banquet yet to come. And who is on that guest list that's going to be invited to that, that banquet yet to come? Actually, I suppose it would probably surprise us, the people that are going to sit at the table of Jesus. You know who they are? They're all formerly lost. They're all helpless. They're all sinners. They have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and accepted the offer of grace and confessed their shortcomings and received forgiveness from the one and only who could forgive them of their sins. The invitation has already been sent. It arrived in the form of a baby. And we've got a choice about it. We either accept the invitation... Or we reject it. And there are only two choices of what we do with invitation by Jesus to come and dine with him. At the beginning of the service, we took a moment to recognize many people who are dear to members of our church family who have already gone home to be with Jesus in heaven. And I, too, have lost two family members this year. But don't you know that it gives me great comfort knowing that my brother Rick and my mom are sitting at the table prepared for them when God took them home. And that's true for so many people who reads up here represent those that we've lost who are believers and millions more who have accepted the invitation to dine at Jesus' table, to do life with Him, to call Him Savior, to call Him Lord. And we can find comfort in knowing that our loved ones are sitting at the table with Jesus, feasting in His presence today and tomorrow and forever. They're there. Certainly His dining room table doesn't look anything like this. It's so much better. There are more seats gathered around it. So many we can't count them. And there's laughter. 
and there's rejoicing, and there's praises being offered to the Heavenly Father. There's connection happening. Everyone feels welcomed and loved. We're all invited to sit at that table. It is to come for all of us that are still here who believe. Revelation 19 tells us of the great marriage supper of the Lamb, yet another scene of dining together at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great hope of all ages is that the Lord will re return to us. And when He does, all the redeemed of the, throughout all the ages of history will dine in joyous festivity in His presence. And it all started with the baby in a manger that would ultimately lead to Him when He grew up to the cross. It is a love story between God and His people. His creation, mending a broken relationship caused by sin and man's inability to save himself. God loved us so much that He decided to demonstrate His love to us in the most radical and absurd way He could. And in His perfect love and mercy, 2,000 years ago, became one of us when He sent Jesus to be born of a virgin without sin and he lived a perfect life and he gave up himself and then he paid the price for our sins by dying the death on a cross Jesus paid the debt of, for all mankind of sin and for you once and for all but we have to accept it the Bible says there is Salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's it. There's no other way to pay the price for sin. Only Jesus could unlock the door to heaven and offer that, that invitation to sit at His table. But in the meantime, we're invited to another table. A table of remembrance. A table that represents the suffering of Christ. And on this Christmas morning, as the world sets aside to remember His birth, we remember His suffering. And what we're about to do is about Jesus. It's about His broken body. It's about His shed blood. It's about Him dying in our place. Jesus came and gave His life as a ransom to redeem us from the bondage of sin. Because of what Jesus did, we're able to have that lasting peace that came from God and for those who believe. It's the peace that we talk about at Christmas. It's the peace that the heavenly host sang about on the night of His birth. We are invited, even commanded, to never forget what Jesus did on the cross so that we might be saved from our sins and inherit eternal life. The ultimate gift of grace from God that placed His Son on the cross. And the grace doesn't just forgive our sin. God's grace empowers us to put sin to death. Jesus died so that we might live and live free of sin. Forgiveness granted to all believe. It's a wondrous and glorious thing to be able to live and dine in the forgiveness of sin. So that Passover meal that Jesus was noted in the New Testament about having with His disciples sharing in that setting, once again, that last meal in that dining room of the upper room with His disciples became so unique because Jesus knew that for all time He would, be, he would become the sacrifice of the world. This would be His last meal with them right before He paid the price for that. Those events of that evening would ultimately change the course of history, and they would change our lives and give us the ability to be recreated, a new person. So we gather at this table because we've decided to follow Him, to remember what He's done. When we participate in this meal in just a moment, 
It's a meal where we are declaring our commitment to Him. A 24-7 way of life of, with Him being the Lord of our life. It's about a people, a church, who have chosen to live differently, to be set apart from how other the normal lives. It's about gathering with fellow believers who understand that Jesus has called him to follow him, to really live for him. Not just some prayer and some decision and filling out a card that we make, but it's a lifetime of literally following Him, becoming like Him. We want to follow His leading and keep step with Him. We want to live out what the Bible teaches us. We're His body, not the broken body, but exclusively His mission. We are His body, His body of believers. We are His church, and this is His church. And we do this in remembrance of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you in a moment to come around forward to this table, this table. And as you will come around, you'll be able to pick up from the tray two little cups. In the bottom cup, there'll be a small piece of bread. And in the top cup will be some juice, they're symbolically representing what Jesus went through. The bread representing his broken body, and the wine or the juice representing the shed blood of Jesus. And while you're waiting in the line, as we will form in just a moment, I ask you to be in a spirit of prayer. To pray for yourself, that you would truly appreciate the power of what the cross has done for us. And pray also, as you walk around, as you think about, is there something in your life that you need to surrender, something that is really is, is causing a problem with you being exactly who you say you are, a believer, that you're struggling with, and maybe you want to spend some time praying or kneeling at the steps here in the altar to say, Lord, I give this to you. I want to come before you totally committed to living a life with you as my Lord. For people who are burdened about, let's say a prayer for them as well. That they too need to come to Christ. Maybe they're on your mind and as you're waiting, maybe you're praying for them. The Bible says he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Remember those words that Jesus spoke as we will come and take in his supper at this table.
Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege to be able to have the occasion which I have this morning, last evening, to share in the meal that you invited your followers, your disciples, those men that were gathered around that table with you. You told them to remember, and so this morning also you tell us through your word to remember. It is a privilege to remember the sacrifice that you made. To be granted citizenship in heaven through the invitation to come to your table. Thank you, Father, for your love for us that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus into this world to save sinners. We're grateful that we can just surrender ourselves to you and you walk with us you're with us forever and ever and then when this life is over we're able to come into your presence father i pray for each person who has made a commitment to follow you and father others that may not have ever done that we pray that you would speak into their lives and they too one day would receive that invitation to come and be a part of your family, to sit at your table, to live life with you and to call you Savior and Lord. And then too, one day, when their life is over, they'll be able to join you in the presence of, of the angels and your Heavenly Father, that, that there with we will be with Jesus, feasting at his table. Thank you for the blessings of Christmas, for family, for those that are gathered in places all over, in homes and churches, and as they will share time together, Father, we pray your blessings and protection up over the families, and we pray for those who are hurting, that feeling lost this year. Would you just uh, let them know that, know that they're not alone, that, they're, that you're with them, and they would feel your presence. Give us that hope and that love and that joy, and Father, that we have talked about throughout this season. May we just find it in you, knowing you're really the only place we can find truth and happiness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here on this Christmas morning. May he protect you and may you have uh, time to really reflect on who he is. And if you have family gatherings this afternoon or later on this week, may, may you just feel, have time to enjoy each other. May you be under his protection and care. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.